Today we are continuing our series on grace is greater. Do you believe that? That grace is greater than anything else? Do you believe that grace is great? Yes, Karis is about there going, yes I am, because if you didn't know that, Karis means grace. So she's there going, grace is greater, grace is greater, grace is greater, grace always wins. So just ignore the big head you're going to see in the back behind the computer for the next few weeks. But grace is greater. It's greater than, last week we talked about how grace is greater than our past. It's greater than the, what we bring to where we are right now, that God does not hold our past against us, that we can move forward, that God's grace is greater in our lives. We are not held in bondage. It's Satan is the one who wants to keep us in bondage. Satan is the one who wants to keep you under his thumb, thinking that you are useless to the kingdom of God. That you're thinking that I've messed up, I've screwed up, I can't move on from this. And God says, no, my grace is greater than your past. And if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, especially those who are on vacation, <clears throat> just saying, if you weren't here last week, I put this message up online. I want to encourage you to go to our website, not just because it's me speaking, but there is some great information there that you need to know, that you need to connect with. My notes are up there. The message is up there. I want you to go and listen to it and catch up because there's some... this. If you can grasp this idea that God is greater than all of your past, if God is greater than what you're experiencing right now, you will find freedom in Christ. You will find freedom to kick Satan aside and go toward that life that God wants you to have. So I want to encourage you to go to our church website, mountainstates.church. It's in the bullet and everything else. Go there and listen to last week's message if you didn't have a chance to, haven't had a chance to, and catch up. So you can join our church, join the body of Christ and what God is doing in our midst. Today we're talking about another aspect of God being greater. He is greater than your hurts. He is greater than your hurts. One of my wife's favorite websites. She hasn't followed it in a while. She's there going, what are you saying? When we were over in China, she got hooked on this website, Fly Lady. Any of you ladies in the Fly Lady? One, two, come on. You, come on, you can, be, you can be brave, you can be honest. Fly Lady radically transformed the way we did some things for a while. And they've carried on. We learned, or I say we, she learned and, and instilled in our family a much more simplistic way of living. It started with decluttering. And we, every year and every year, spring comes around, everybody goes through this spring cleaning phase, right? And you go through your closet, you go through your garage, you go through whatever, and you start cleaning out everything, you start getting rid of all the stuff that you don't need. Fly Lady touches that, all these other places you can get. How to simplify your lives, how to, 14 steps in how to simplify your life, Right? It seems like it should be one step in how to simplify, right? You go through your closet and you're going through, okay, I, had, I don't need the sweater, I don't need, the, I don't need 45 pairs of pants, I don't need all these pairs of, under, all these, those are holy underwears, I don't need those. Uh, you, you're going through your closet, you're going through your drawers, you go through your garage, and you're trying to find, anybody trying to find something in the garage? It's been like for six months or a year, and you're like, where is that coffee pot? You know, and you're digging through stuff. 
where is this? Where is that? And you, it's out in the garage. Oh, I don't want to go in the garage. We're all about decluttering from time to time. Every spring, the, the bug kind of hits, and you want to go plant your garden. You want to go get stuff, and you go through, and you start decluttering your life and getting rid of trash and declutter all the stuff in your yard, all the old foliage. But it's important from time to time, too, that we also learn to declutter our minds. Declutter our emotions and get those things out of us, the things that are controlling us, the things that are hidden way back in our minds that we've kind of buried back there to protect ourselves. We've been hurt. We've been frustrated. Somebody's aggravated us. Somebody's got us all up in arms. And we bury it back there. And we bury it back there. And we bury it back there. It's time to declutter, to bring those things to light. Ephesians 4, verse 31 says, to get, We need to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along, every, along with every form of malice. Learning to extend forgiveness to others, to someone who doesn't deserve it and can't make it right is more than a decision we make. It's a journey we take. And today I want to take us on a journey to begin that journey in some of our lives of learning to forgive. Learning to forgive your spouse, learn to forgive that best friend. Learn to forgive that person who wronged you because grace is greater than your hurts. Grace is greater than what has been done to you. Grace has been, is greater than what has been done to your spouse. Grace is greater than what was done to your child. Grace is greater than what was done to your grandparents or to your boss or to your best friend or whoever or whatever. Grace is greater. And today we're going to take a journey, we're going to start that journey today to begin learning to apply this idea of forgiveness in our life. In Matthew 18, if you have, if you have your Bibles this morning, move, open up the book of Matthew 18 real quick. And while you're turning there, you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you just don't know what I've been through. You're talking about forgiveness, you're talking about my hurts, but I have been hurt too badly. I've been hurt too badly, and nothing is going to help. I want to wallow in my clutter. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of the unmerciful servant. To help us understand that not just the greatness of the grace that we've received, but the greatness of the grace we are to give to others as well. And it starts out with, with Peter in verse 21. It says, Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive? How many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to the king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. Take, think about this for a minute. Peter walks up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? You ever think he's got somebody in the back of his mind? You ever wonder, who's Peter thinking about? Now, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Maybe seven times? See, because the Jewish rabbis taught that if you forgave somebody three times, oh, you're spiritual. You are righteous. 
You know, somebody offends you once, I'm going to forgive. Somebody offends you twice, I'll forgive you. Somebody comes back and offends you a third time, this is it, buddy. After this, you're hosed. They come back and offend you the fourth time the rabbis taught. You're free just to ignore them. You're free to show spite. You're free just to kick them to the curb. But what's the principle here that Jesus is teaching? He says, not just seven times, but seven times seven, or some translations say 77 times. The point is not how many times, but the point is you keep forgiving over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because grace is always greater. The point is not how many times should I forgive, but am I willing to forgive over and over again because God's grace has been shown in me. God has forgiven me over and over and over and over and over again as well. And how can I not show the same kind of grace to others that has already been shown to me? I have offended a holy God. From the time of my birth, I've offended a holy God. And you're thinking, how, from the time of your birth, how does that happen? I came out of my mother's womb a sinner. I came out of my mother's womb born in sin, the Bible says. I came out with no, no chance of, of showing myself, being myself, being righteous before God. I was born in sin. Selfish, crying, change my diaper, feed me, pick me up, do this, do that. As a toddler, it really comes out, right? Terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible teens. It really comes out during those times. Terrible 20s, terrible 30s, terrible 40s, terrible 50s, terrible 60s, terrible 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. My grandmother, my grandfather used to say, the first 100 years are the hardest. And I think he thought, at 100, it was all downhill from there. My grandmother can say, even the terrible hundreds are there. She lived 103, almost 104 years old. And she was still struggling with sin to the very end. See, God forgives us over and over and over and over again because His grace is greater than our past. His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is greater than our offense to Him. How can we not forgive others in the same way? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that there needs to it needs to happen. So here in this, in this parable, that's the background now. Jesus is, is, is going to deal with this. And Peter comes in and asks, how many times should we forgive? And then Jesus goes into this story of the ungrateful servant who's called in before the master. The master's in his house and he's looking at all his books. And he goes, there's this servant here who owes me a lot of money. This servant owes him like $150 million dollars in today's dollars. And he calls the servant in and he goes, okay, it's time to pay up. I made you this loan. Uh, it's time for you to make this, this loan right. Where's my money? And he goes, um, I don't have it, sir. I don't have it. I can't repay the loan. So the master says, okay, take him, throw him into debtor's prison where you're going to stay there until the loan is repaid. But the servant says, Master, Master, let me just, let me work it off. Let, let me, I, 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 need, I need to, please don't throw me in prison. I will work off every little bit of what I owe you. I will come back and I will pay you back every bit of what I owe. 
Now think about that for a minute. Here's a servant with no way of paying back his master. And he says, I'm going to pay you back. I have a debt. And I think I'm going to be able to pay it back. And I'm poverty stricken. Is that not a picture of us? We owe God everything. Our sin stands before us. And God says, okay, you can't pay, you, you can't pay for your sin? Off to hell with you. But God, but God, God, but wait, 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 wait. I'll try to work it off. I'll try to work. I'll try to become good enough to please you. And what does the master say? He looks at that servant and he forgives the debt. His grace is greater than the servant's debt. His grace is greater than that servant's debt. $150 million wiped off. You don't owe a dime. Go about your life. So that servant then goes down the road and he sees another somebody else who owes him 20 bucks. And he says, where's your $20? Where's the $20 that you owe me? Oh, please be merciful. Please be patient with me. I don't have it. I'll, I'll work it off and I'll pay it back. See, $150 million, no. It's, it, you, you're not going to pay it back. But $20, I think I could come up with $20 in, in a period of time. Even back then, they could come up with $20 after a period of time. So he says, please forgive me. Let, 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 let me work it off. I will pay you back. Trust me, I will pay you back. And what does the servant do? The first servant says, no, take him, throws him into jail, throws him in the debtor's prison, he says, you're going to stay there until it's paid back. Of course, word gets back to the master, right? Word gets back to the master, and he's, he says, what did you do? I forgave you this huge debt that you could never repay. I forgave it. And then you chose to stick it to your friend. You chose to stick it to the one who'd only offended you a little bit. Off you go to debtor's prison. See, that's the picture that Jesus is bringing out. The picture of forgiveness. This ungrateful, unforgiving, unmerciful servant refused to forgive, refused to overlook the offense, refused to take upon himself somebody else's debt. And he didn't understand that as great as his as the, as the debt that was owed to the original master, the master's grace was greater. As great as the debt was, the $150 million, as great as his debt was, the master's grace was greater. In our lives, how big is our debt we owe our Father, Heavenly Father? How big is the debt that we owe God? We can never pay it back. God has given everything for you and I. He has done it, uh, done it all for us. We can never pay back God for what he did for us. My sin stands before me. And I go, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. My sin is ever before me. I can never overcome my sin. It's too big. But God's grace is greater. That's the principle over 
and over again. So how then do we come to that point where we can learn to forgive others? How do we come to that point? Because I'll admit to you, that I'll freely admit, it's, it's not easy, is it? It's not, it's not easy. We've all, anybody not been offended in here at all in their life? Every hand should be down. We've all been offended by somebody. If you're married, you've been offended. You know, if you've been married any length of time, you look at your spouse and go, yeah, you've offended me from some time or other. If you work with people who are in your office, you've likely been offended by somebody there. If you have kids, you've been offended. If you're kids and you've got parents, you've been offended by your parents. Right, Hanisa? What? What? If you are around people at all, you have been offended by somebody at some point in your life. How then do we learn to forgive those, that, those who offend us? See, there's three, little, there's three levels of forgiveness I want to talk about this morning. There's really four, but we're going to talk about the first. We're going to talk about the three, because level zero is really at, when you're at that point where you say, I'm hard, I want my bitterness, I want my anger, I want my frustration, and I'm refusing to give in. I'm refusing to forgive. The first one, level one, is we must release our feelings to God. It's learning, it's like what we read back in Ephesians chapter 4 a minute ago. It's getting rid of that bitterness and anger and rage and acknowledging that I'm hurting, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, but I need to get rid of it. This is not good for me. This is not good for my family. This is not good for my relationships. I need to release these emotions. I need to release these feelings. I need to give them over to God and say, God, I need your help to overcome. It's cleaning out your closet and deciding that you're no longer going to live with those feelings of resentment and animosity. It's, see, those, those feelings don't necessarily go away when you decide that, do they? We, we know, God, I need to get rid of these feelings. I need to get them all far away from me. But they're not necessarily gone yet. But you're acknowledging to yourself, I need to be free of these feelings of anger and bitterness and rage and jealousy and all those feelings that hold us back. And maybe you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I'll start learning to forgive when... I feel like it. When that other person confesses their sin to me. When they confess their sin to me, then I'll go and I'll start forgiving. When they confess and when they come before me and they humble themselves before me, then I'll feel like forgiving them. See, there's a problem in there. There's that word feeling. And I'm not going to dance around the stage like Pastor Groeschel did yesterday on their video talking about feelings. But I want you to know if you're letting your feelings control you, then you are in a world of hurt. We see we need to live our lives by faith, not by our feelings. We, are, we can be trapped by our feelings instead of being freed by our faith. We know how to live, but if you allow yourselves to be controlled every day by your feelings and by, I just don't feel like forgiving, I don't feel like going to church, I don't feel like doing what I know I need to do, I don't feel like getting up. Pastor Groeschel yesterday said, what if, you, what if you don't feel like going to work? He said, I hope you don't feel like eating either. <laughs> if you're trapped and bound by your feelings, you can't be freed by your faith. 
Let me say that again. If you're trapped, when you're trapped by your feelings, you can't be freed by your faith. It's that stepping out in faith and acknowledging to God, I need to be free from these emotions. I need to be free from this bitterness. I need to be free from this anger in God. I can't do it alone. That's when you come before God and you say, God, work in my life. Help me to overcome these feelings. To look upon John Smith. There's no John Smith in here somewhere, are there? To look upon John Smith or Jane Smith without the angerness and bitterness welling up in my heart. We can't wait until we feel like it. See, it's a matter of obedience for us. How can we do any less than God did for us? Think about that. How can we do any less for others than what God has done for us? We have to forgive. We have to release our bitterness and anger. We have to. Because God looked at you and said, I forgive you. Before you were ever born, before you ever committed your first sin, God says, I forgive you. Now there's a concept. Before you ever committed your first sin, before you ever came out of your mom's womb, and you began crying and screaming, feed me, feed me, change me, change me, pick me up, pick me up. So-and-so hit me on the playground. They pushed me off the swing. They pushed me off the whatever. They took my toy, took my piece of candy. Before you ever uttered your first word, God had already forgiven you. See, our forgiveness of others is not dependent on them coming to us first. Forgiving, learning to forgive others is an attitude that we develop within ourselves. We desire grace, but grace is only grace if it goes both ways. Receiving it from God and refusing to give it to others is not an option for us. Look at Acts chapter 7 this morning. We're, we're going to look up, it'll be up on the screen behind me. The story of Stephen is a perfect example of somebody who offered grace to others. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 and following, he says, When they heard these things, talking about the Pharisees and the Jews, they were so enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, I see the heavens open where the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And the Jews, they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against their garments at the feet of the young man and threw their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out in a loud voice, Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after they saying these things, he died. Do you hear the grace in Stephen's voice there? He had every right. He was preaching the word of God. He was there sharing the truth with the people around him. He was there doing what God wanted him to do, being a faithful servant of God, proclaiming God's word, living correctly. And they took him and began stoning him. And what was his response? It was a spewing words of, don't do that, you ugly son of a... He says, Lord, 
Don't hold this sin against them. In other words, I forgive them. That's the picture of a man who had received and understood the grace of God in his life and he was not willing to hold his anger and his bitterness inside. It would have been very easy. If it had been me, (laughs) yeah, I may not have been as nice. If it had been me, somebody was doing something to, I would not have spoken so nicely. I would have had anger and bitterness and rage. And yet Stephen Stephen chose here to give it back, to release those emotions and says, God, do not hold this sin against them. He released his feelings. He had the big picture in mind. He didn't look inwardly. He looked at those, the, the hurt and the hearts of those who were hurting him and chose to respond differently. So first, level one, we must release our feelings to God. And secondly, we must release the person who hurt us over to God. This is sometimes hard, harder. Level two, we release those who hurt us over to God. What does that mean? It means not justifying their actions and choosing instead to write off the debt and releasing our right to retaliate. See, everything about me, when somebody hurts me, somebody hurts my wife, somebody hurts my kids, my first inclination, I'll get you back. And you won't even see me coming. I'll get you back. I'll stick it to you. You pop one of my tires, I'll pop all four years. That's the first inclination for many people, isn't it? And yet, the idea of learning to release others back to God is so radically different. It's so possible because see, God's grace is greater in us than our feelings, than our emotions, than everything we bring to the table. It's choosing instead to pray for that person and pray for their healing, to pray for their restoration than choosing to retaliate. See, God is standing with you and offers you a grace that is not only greater than anything you have done, but is greater than anything that has been done to you. God offers you this grace that is greater than anything that's been done to you. He says, I'm able to take away your feelings. I'm able to take away your emotions. I'm able to take away and to give you back my grace because my grace is greater than what's been done to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to Timothy in the city of Ephesus where Timothy has been put in charge. He's now the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And Paul is in prison, writing to Timothy, instructing him on how to lead his church, instructing him how to grow in his faith and how to help others to grow. And he says here, Alexander, in verse 14, Alexander, the coppersmith, did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him because yourself because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone Deserted me. Is that not a sad statement? 
when this coppersmith came against me, when this man fought against the word, the message that we were bringing in your city, no one stood against me. Everyone deserted me. But may it not be counted against them. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does that sound like a man who is harboring bitterness toward Alexander the coppersmith or even the other believers? I mean, I, can, I expect an unbeliever is going to come against us. I expect the world to fight us. I expect unbelievers to not understand this faith and not understand who we are and to fight against what we stand for. It's harder when it's a believer, isn't it? Because we expect other believers to act like believers. We expect those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, those who have experienced the grace of God in their own lives, to give out that grace of God also, don't we? We expect that. But that's not always the case. And it's hard. I admit, it's hard when those who are the body of Christ offend and insult and hurt. But see, what Paul's words here to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 May it not be counted against them. May it not be handed, counted against them. Why? Because the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Because God stood by my side. When you are offended, when you've been hurt by somebody, it's important that we learn to give them over to God, to let God deal with their hearts. When's the last time the nagging somebody helped? When's the last time that saying, do this, do this, do this, or nagging somebody, I wish you were like this, I wish you were more like that person, why can't you be more like that person? Why can't you be more like Joe across the street? Why can't you be more like Sally down the street? When's the last time that that was more effective than Holy Spirit working in somebody's heart? You know what my wife does when she wants me to change? And this took many years for her to realize. She stopped saying, I wish you were more like our next door neighbor. She started praying that God would change my heart. Because she realized that God's working in my heart and recognizing areas in my life that need to change was much more powerful than her saying, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And being that godly example in our family for me to look at and go, hmm, maybe I ought to change this behavior in my life. And letting God work in my life rather than being, and giving me over to God. Notice here that Paul is not saying in 2 Timothy to just forgive and forget. He's warning Timothy of the coppersmith. He's warning him. He says, beware this man, but don't hold it against him. Beware but don't hold it against him. He leaves the justice up to God. It's funny that we were, Regina and I were talking about this next story 
earlier this week. Y'all know the story of Ruby Bridges? Before my time, some of you may remember back when desegregation back in 1950. Desegregation had been instituted and in this town where Ruby Bridges was from, four black kids were going to make the jump to the all-white school. My three kids decided to go together to one school, but in Ruby's area, it was just her. So she was escorted every day to school by federal marshals for her protection. That was a rough time. That was a rough time. And she had to go through counseling, her psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever she met with, because she would get there, people would spitting on her, they're saying foul things to her, they're saying disgusting things, they're, they're throwing things at her. Can you imagine what this little girl had to go through? Kindergarten, first grade. And she had to go and meet with this counselor because of her, what we now would call probably PTSD or some other psychi- psychiatric designation. One day, as she was going up to school, her teacher saw her standing before the crowd of her peers as they continued to spew filth and to spit on her. And, do all, and she, they saw her mouth just moving. She was just going. She's just going. Later on, her teacher said, Ruby, or the teacher actually told her psychiatrist about this situation. And in her session, the psychiatrist said, Ruby, what were you saying to the crowd? What were you saying to them? She goes, I wasn't saying, saying anything. I was just praying for them. I was praying for them. Now, it's even more amazing when you realize that Ruby's parents were illiterate. They couldn't read the Bible. But they had taught her enough about praying and about forgiving that she was able to stand there before all these kids and pray for their hatred and pray that God would not hold it against them. She said, I was praying that God would let us become friends. I was praying that God would not hold their their bitterness and their anger and their prejudice against them, that we would eventually be able to reconcile together. She gave them over to God to let God work in their hearts. Because that is more effective than us standing there with the wag in the finger. That's more effective than the words that we might say. The picture of little Ruby standing there, if you can imagine in your mind this little kindergarten girl praying for her peers who were saying some nasty things to her just because of the way she looked. And what is her response? God, forgive them. God, help them to change. Let your Holy Spirit work in their hearts. God, I pray we might be able to become friends one day. God, will you please work in their lives? God, bless them. God, help them to have a great day. Not God, bring judgment down upon them. God, work in their hearts in such a way that you get the glory from the change that takes place. Because when bitterness reigns in our lives, when we harbor the bitterness and the anger and the selfishness and all those other emotions, it's hard for us to pray for somebody. It's hard for us to pray 
blessings upon somebody who's hurt us. I admit it. I've been hurt. It's hard for us to pray for that other person. Say, God, bless them today. Let them have the best day ever. Give them a raise at work. That's hard. But it's what we are called to do as Christ's followers. What did Jesus do on the cross? Did he hold their sins against them? He prayed for them. How do we do that? How do we begin to begin to apply this to our lives? Very quickly. Number one, acknowledge the hurt. We acknowledge the hurt that takes place in our lives. Don't try to hide away from it and say, no, it didn't really happen. No, I'm, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know what fine means? F-I-N-E. Feelings inside need expressing. You're not fine. Acknowledge it. Secondly, release your rights. As children of God, we don't have any rights. All of our rights are given to us by God. Our only right is that we can be loved and honored, be loved by God, and to go to His kingdom one day. Thirdly, pray for our enemies. Pray for our enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use Pray for those who persecute you. I think I read that somewhere else in Matthew chapter 5. You pray for those enemies. You pray for those who hurt you. And you lean on the Lord for your strength. How could a little kindergarten girl stand before a mob? How could Martin Luther King stand before those who hated him? How do we stand before those who have hurt us? How do you walk arm in arm and you have a conversation and go to lunch with somebody who's hurt you? You don't do it in your own strength. You do it in the strength of the Lord that only that comes from within, that comes from the Holy Spirit living within you. That's where our strength comes from. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from within David Edder. It doesn't come from within you. It comes from within the strength that God gives us. Lastly, we release our emotions. You release others. Then the goal is reconciliation. You seek reconciliation. Level three. You seek the reconciliation with the offender. I'm not saying you're there yet. I'm saying this is a goal we work toward. I'm saying this is, these are steps in the process, something we are working toward. What did God do with us? Did God cast us away? Did he just release us to our own devices? God reconciled us to himself. If God reconciled us to himself, how can we not seek to be reconciled to those who've offended us? Colossians 1:19 through 23 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile, let me read that again. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Does that say that God cast us aside? Does that say that God continues to hold our sins against us? Does that say that God, even though he was offended and has been hurt by us, 
continues to harbor that bitterness and anger. It says that God came and reconciled us to himself by his shed blood on the cross. The Bible says that we are to forgive as God forgave us. See, when God forgave us, he didn't just say, I forgive you, but we can't have a relationship. (laughs) Imagine, I forgive you, but don't ever come into my presence. I forgive you, but go down the street. I give you, but this is my Starbucks, not yours. God said, I forgive you. Let's have that relationship again. I forgive you. Come sit with me and talk with me. I forgive you. Let's be reconciled one to another. But how does reconciliation take place? See, reconciliation takes forgiveness from the offended and asking forgiveness by the offender. It takes giving forgiveness from the offended and repentance from the offender. We have offended a holy God. We come before him and say, God, I messed up again. Please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for what I have done to offend a holy God. And God says, come on back in. Let's have dinner again. Let's have this relationship again. Let's get together again. Renew this relationship again. Total reconciliation requires both forgiveness from the offended and repentance from the offender. That's total reconciliation. Doesn't mean that you still can't have a relationship with somebody, even if you're the offended. As as you begin to give that forgiveness, sometimes it takes one person stepping forward. It takes one person stepping out and saying, I forgive you. Maybe if you don't say it, you have that attitude, and his attitudes speak loudly, don't they? Sometimes it doesn't matter. You don't have to say the words, Rich, I forgive you. Jeff, I forgive you. The attitude you portray with that other person lets them know they've forgiven me. And it helps that other person along who may feel the shame, who may feel funny around you, who is the offender, step up and say, Rich, I'm sorry. I messed up. Will you forgive me? And you can say, I already have. Because God's grace is greater in me. And I'm not going to hold your offense against me any longer. In conclusion, is there someone you need to forgive, to pray for, to do good to, to be reconciled with? What's that picture in your mind, that face in your mind, that name on your in your notebook that you need to forgive. You need to take, begin taking these steps. Release, acknowledge your bitterness, acknowledge your anger, acknowledge your frustration, and release it. Take that person that you've been frustrated with, release them over to God. Say,